Welcome to Ms. Interpreted, her podcast of public relations and strategic communications, demystified by Kelly Fletcher and Fletcher Marketing PR. Welcome, listeners, to the Misinterpreted Podcast. I'm Kelly Fletcher, CEO of Fletcher Marketing PR, and I'm here with my lovely co-host, <laughs> Fletcher Senior Strategist, Mary Beth West. Hey there, Kelly. Today, we're taking a marketing and PR road less traveled, and we're getting our Southern on. Um, we're going to talk Tennessee tourism PR with a whiskey twist. You know, I am so thrilled about this episode. Um so far on the podcast, I mean, in large part, it's been you and me talking about some pretty cerebral public relations. Very serious stuff. Yeah, theory and practice stuff. But on this episode, the rubber is meeting the road in more ways than one, and I love it. Tourism is a major sector of many local, regional, and national economies worldwide. Certainly, it is in the state of Tennessee, where we are based here. And the necessity of public relations can't be overstated to make tourism strategies successful. So we're going to be firing up our GPS and getting yeah, ready absolutely. to absolutely. PR really it. is um, so important to driving tourism and works in tandem with advertising, marketing, promotions, yeah. creative digital campaigns to put travel destinations on the map and in the consumer mindset. And the thing about PR and using PR as a tool to drive tourism is it is a lot less expensive to get earned media than right. it is to spend all the money on paid media. So in our business, PR helps directly generate tourist dollars to hospitality-related businesses and government tax bases. So the economic impact hits everyone and, and really helps or hurts um, everyone from the, the mom and pops on Main Street, restaurants, right. local hotels and motels, retail shops, all the way to the government tax coffers um, that fund schools, infrastructure, and more. So in tourism, mm -hmm. PR is power. Well, it, it is. Capital R. It is. Absolutely is. Um, here in Tennessee, the travel sector growth is outpacing the nation. And, and to your point, PR is important. Um, I think I've read that Tennessee tourists spent $60 million per day yeah, that's last unbelievable. year supporting the sector. And in all of those business sectors that you mentioned, you know, the hospitality, the restaurants, uh, you know, all of the support system and that ecosystem. So PR and marketing drive the awareness and the call to action that make those dollars happen. It is a huge part of the economy in this state. And it doesn't matter, listeners, where you're from, uh, you know, somewhere in the region of the world where you are, uh, there's probably someone working uh, to, uh, you know, to help to tout your region as a destination, because that does ultimately help provide a business driver and an economic driver for you. So as many of our listeners know, our Misinterpreted podcast is, is based in Knoxville, Tennessee. We are near the Great Smoky Mountains National Park, one of the oldest mountain ranges in the world and the most visited national park in the U.S. It is the most visited, yeah. and I don't think Everybody knows that. I was right. in Jackson Hole over the summer, uh -huh. and I had to go head-to-head -head with some people out there because they didn't <laughs> believe that it was the most visited national park. So I had to get out the Googles and yeah. show them that I wasn't making it up. Yeah, well, you know, they see the Grand Tetons out there, and right. they think they, you know, that, that's where, you know, the Alpha and the Omega is. Right. Uh, so. But anyway, Knoxville is also home to one of our clients, the Smoky Mountain Tourism Development mm -hmm. Authority which is just south of Knoxville, and it covers Alcoa, Maryville, Townsend, 
and Wallen, Tennessee. It's also billed as the peaceful side of the Smokies. Right. And I'll, I live right in that area. I live in the Blunt County area, which is the peaceful side. Um, we're proud, incidentally, to have Blackberry Farm and the new Blackberry Mountain in our local area. Yeah, I mean, talk about breaking a stereotype. <laughs> One of the top resorts in the world. I heard um, yeah. a friend of mine told me that she saw Anna Wintour there recently. Oh, yes, uh, yes. Vogue. Yeah, exactly. And, of course, they're very tight-lipped over there about in terms of the staff. About uh, They never really talk about who, what celeb- a major celebrity. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, um, and I've heard from time to time various celebrities who've been there, but it's always from other guests right. who've been staying there. Uh, and uh, it's uh, interesting that a lot of chatter will start around around the property, just among the guests. Did you see so-and-so is here? But yeah, I mean, Blackberry Farm is such a great example of, yeah, Tennessee breaking out of the mold. A lot of people think about Tennessee as a travel destination. They have a very specific image in their mind. And it just goes to show that Tennessee has something to offer everyone. I mean, when you look at Blackberry Farm, it's a relay and chateau property. It's been known worldwide for its sprawling, they have 5,200 acres, um, mountain vistas. It's incredibly gorgeous. Um, Everyone interested in world-class resorts and fine dining, incidentally, you really need to check them out. They have a James Beard award-winning wine program with 166 thousand bottles on property I and can't even imagine. Kelly's it eyes are glazing like, over at the moment. Sounds like heaven. <laughs> and you know, shout out to them. Blackberry Farm was Wine Spectators 2019 Grand Award winner. No no small um, no small recognition there. So, but for folks whose palates lean more toward craft beer, check out Blackberry Farm Brewery. Uh, Tennessee has incidentally has an incredibly diverse craft beer scene statewide yeah. as well. Absolutely. Well, In Tennessee, tourism is big business, and without question, um, Tennessee is a brand storyteller's dream. There are so many stories to tell, and we are a PR mecca for destinations and travel media alike. Um, Nashville is now the number one destination for bachelorette parties. (laughs) Claim to fame. Yeah. I I know a lot of local residents there who love that. Uh, Yeah, exactly. Um, But it's surpassed uh, Las Vegas for Mm -hmm. being the mecca for bachelorette parties. And I don't even think I knew that statistic. (laughs) That's interesting. So, uh, but our tourism is is so diverse. And we've got, it's, I guess, founded and rooted in music, but our culture, lately the culinary scene has just really blown up. And um, the arts, we just have an incredible tapestry here. You know, I often tell people that this region is really the United States of Tennessee. <laughs> because <laughs> uh, a lot of people don't know that we officially, as a state, we're divided into three grand divisions. We have West, Middle, and East Tennessee. Each holds such distinct personalities and, as you mentioned, cultural roots. Each division is so much its own region, geographically, politically, demographically, you name it. It's just, it's a real diversity hotbed. It almost is like going to three different countries. So, you know, over in Memphis and West Tennessee, we have the Delta Blues of Bill Street and um, the birthplace of rock and roll at Sun Records and Elvis Presley's home at Graceland, which I visited for the la- uh, for the first time yeah. last summer, yeah. and it was a hoot. Yeah, I loved oh, yeah. it. Oh, it, yeah. It's an amazing experience. And then Middle Tennessee, of course, has Nashville, which is just, the growth is off the charts there. Mm-hmm. Music City, they've got the Grand Ole Opry, Music Row, the Country Music Hall of Fame, mm-hmm. um, and it is growing at, I don't even know, exponential rates. People are moving there in droves. Right, and over here in East Tennessee, of course, we have Dollywood, 
Wood near Knoxville, and as well, in addition, and we're home to Dolly, of course, of course, um, and birthplace of country music up in Bristol. Then you've got Chattanooga just south of here. All are destinations steeped in decades and centuries-long cultural narratives that are a huge part of the visitor experience. I think that's why people travel here just to be part of that and to see that, experience it. Um, and it's our profession of public relations and the work of our travel PR colleagues who make sure that these stories get told and the media and the consumer connections are made with that, which yeah. is, that's a huge it part of huge. getting people here. Well, just the marketing. Think about, we've got three Tennessee legends um, that I read somewhere get some of the highest global name awareness in the world. Mm-hmm. If you think Dolly Parton for one, right? everybody knows who she is around the world, Elvis Presley. And yes. Jack Daniels. <laughs> oh, mean, and talk about three icons. Exactly. Oh, I was going to say, we have one of them here with us today. We'll have our guests coming up here in just one moment. Today, we have not one, but two very well-known distillers here who were part of the Tennessee Whiskey Trail. We have Chris Fletcher, who... Once again, there comes my name into play. Chris, <laughs> right. I'm not sure if we're kin. Do you have any relatives in Valdosta, Georgia? <laughs> Uh, not that I know of, but okay. hey, you never, you never know. <laughs> well, I'll claim you anyway. Yeah, there's always hope. Especially since you are master distiller, assistant master distiller of Jack Daniel um, in Lynchburg, Tennessee. That's really impressive. Um, thank you so much for joining us. And we also have Alexandra Castle, who goes by Alex. And she is master distiller of Old Dominic Distillery in Memphis, Tennessee. And I'm a fangirl. Uh, <laughs> yes. I had a friend in South Carolina send me an article on Alex. And then I started kind of paying attention to her because she's a woman who is really expanding the narrative to include women in what clearly has traditionally been right. a, a man's field, that right. of whiskey making, moonshine making. Right. Well, and, and Chris and Alex each have very interesting stories about their professional paths, and we'll hear about in a moment. Their work in t- the Tennessee spirits industry is really big business in this state, and it's a big contributor to Tennessee's consumer products industry, as well as the tourism economy here. And we're also joined today by our client, Kim Mitchell. She is director of the Smoky Mountain Tourism Development Authority, and her team has put together and will be hosting the November 2nd Grains and Grits Festival in Townsend, Tennessee. That's on the peaceful side of the Smokies. And Kim, we're so glad to have you here. We're so excited that Wine Enthusiast is coming to Grains and Grits yes. this year and lending some uh, additional credibility to it. So at Grains and Grits, everybody gets to experience firsthand the diversity of the craft spirit scene, which really, if you haven't been around it a whole lot. I've learned mm-hmm. so much about right. uh, the diversity of the craft spirit scene. It's not just about beer and whiskey anymore. There's so right. much there more. So also um, we'll have different uh, distillers who are on the Tennessee Whiskey Trail. Everybody will be able to sample whiskey and also their gourmet culinary tastings too. Right, so, right. It's well, it's for the senses. Absolutely. It is terrific to have Chris, Alex and Kim here with us today from Misinterpreted. And I think a lot of our focus today, we want to expand some awareness and maybe even clear up some misconceptions about whiskey mystique, so to speak, and you know how it's driving Tennessee's PR narrative and the tourism machine here. So, so welcome. Yeah. So yeah. here's where our core competency as an agency comes in. I mean, we specialize in developing marketing and PR cam- campaigns that drive women to take action. And the travel industry is just, well, we pretty much own it. We are making all the decisions. We 
rank first in solo travel now and we're likely to take three trips a year. I did a little Googling yeah. on this and so have some stats from solo traveler world and booking.com. So the reason we do it, we say is we want to travel alone for freedom and independence and the chance to do what we want when we want it without anybody weighing in, which I love that part. of Right. It. And then, um, this stat is also huge. So women book tours and activities 67% of the time. So mm -hmm. when it comes to tourism and travel, as I'm sure Kim, our guest, totally agrees with me. If you don't, you can just fake it and say you absolutely <laughs> agree yes. with me. So um, we're going to connect some dots a little bit because our podcast misinterpreted. Uh, we were tackling marketing and PR subject matter, and we we're also talking about things that may be misunderstood. So Kim, I'll ask you the first question. You've spent years of your career promoting Tennessee tourism, particularly here in East Tennessee, for the peaceful side of the Smokies brand. And what is it that you find people outside of the state don't know about Tennessee or they're really surprised to find out when they get here? I think it definitely is the fact that there's so much to do in the state of Tennessee that people do not realize. It there's such you t you take the state and you go from West Tennessee to East Tennessee mm -hmm. and you got to look at it through regions and how ev there's different assets in every region that just really just gives something for everyone right. to come and enjoy. If you look at West Tennessee and you have, you know, Elvis and BB King and barbecue and Bill Street and then you go out to Middle Tennessee and you have Nashville, big city, big lights. Lots of food, lots of bars. You've got it's the mecca for country music, and then you go out to East Tennessee, and you have the Smoky Mountains and all the different outdoor tourism activities and assets that East Tennessee really has to offer. It just it's just a complete diverse travel experience for mm -hmm. just about anybody. Right. We were talking earlier about how it's almost like three countries within one state when you look at East, Middle, and West Tennessee. And Nashville has even become um, kind of like Hollywood East, all the celebrities oh, and absolutely. movie yes. stars are moving there. So It's like it's the, the Bachelorette yes. hub of the it is. United States, yep. too, I think. Right. <laughs> so, Kim, what stereotypes about Tennessee, maybe the South in general, do you think get turned upside down, down when people actually come here to visit? I think it's just great that we embrace the stereotypes that people might think about Tennessee. Just oh yeah, own it. Own you know, it. Yeah. I, I mean, we they're coming it. here, they're coming here because of the Southern hospitality. You know, we may, especially in East Tennessee and in the mountains, you know, there may be the, the verbiage of hillbillies or country bumpkins, if you will, but people are coming here to experience that. It's our history. It's our culture. People want to become part of the area that they're visiting. And, and I think owning up to maybe what those stereotypes might say and Live it, love yeah, it. Yeah, it's I the mean, authenticity factor. Embrace I think. It. Yeah, exactly. We're not making it up. We're not manufacturing it. It is what we are, and I think it's exciting to to show people our history and our culture and embrace it and just you know shower that southern hospitality on them when they're right. in the area. Right, and that's just the perfect segue because um, Alex and Chris just again want to thank you so much for your being here. We're eager for our listeners to hear your stories about how you got into the business and what your career paths have been. You know, when people think of a whiskey distiller, they probably have all kinds of images conjured up in their heads, kind of speaking to, you know, some of that imagery that Kim was mentioning, especially um, with the whole moonshine side of the house, movies and television shows also that depict whiskey making, the moonshine industry, um, such, such that it has evolved for many decades 
decades now. And even reality shows have gotten in on the action. Some of those have cropped up in recent years. So I would love to break down some of those images a bit here. And Chris, please start us off here with this. Tell us a little bit about your role at Jack Daniels and what the mystique around whiskey lore is from your standpoint, especially for such a storied brand as Jack Daniels. Yeah, um happy to do that. Thanks for having me first of all. Sure. Um a little bit about me. I, I'm, you know, born and raised here in in Lynchburg, Tennessee. Um spent almost my whole life here. Um I started, you know, running around the distillery probably around the age of five or six years old with my grandfather. Um, and mm-hmm. so I literally kind of grew up around a distillery. I mm-hmm. obviously didn't know what a distillery was when I was that age. Um, and especially didn't obviously didn't know what really whiskey was at that age. But, um, you know, I went away to school and uh, studied chemistry when I was in college and, and got really lucky because the company was hiring uh, for a chemist uh, about the time I finished with school. And so I started in that role and, and I've ended up working at different distilleries. I, I spent a few years up in Kentucky working in different distilleries. And um, for the last uh, five and a half years or so, uh, though, I've worked for Jeff Arnett here at Jack Daniels, who's our current master distiller. Uh, had the opportunity to to move back home and, and work for Jeff, and and it's been fantastic. And and literally be at the distillery that I've I've grown up around. Um, I'm in my right now. I'm sitting in my grandfather's old office, and I'm sitting at his old desk. Oh, wow, was he, he a Fletcher? So, no, it's actually my mom's dad. Um, a lot of people ask that. They just assume it was my father's dad, but it's my mom's oh. dad. And so his last name is, is Bobo, B-O-B-O. Yeah. Um, his name is Frank Bobo. He's 90 years old, and uh, oh. he was he worked here from 1957 until 1989. Um, that so is incredible. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I can't even begin to imagine the kinds of stories that he has been able to regale you and your family with and, <laughs> and folks who just would come there to visit in Lynchburg. Uh, tell us a little bit about that part of it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, he's he's a wealth of knowledge, and 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 certainly um, probably has made as much, if not more, whiskey than anybody on the planet uh, in his lifetime. Um, but if you go back and think about the history of our brand and and kind of the lore of it, and and it kind of coincides, you know, his career when he started in the 1950s. Jack Daniels was just a small regional whiskey brand. Right. Um, That's you know, amazing. Maybe we sold a hundred thousand cases. Yeah, it was very small. Um, we didn't export a single bottle. of of Jack Daniels until the 1980s. Um, we just couldn't keep up with production for the U.S. and um, we only made our classic old number seven whiskey, and it was allocated um, in the United States. Every single state in the country, um, we would only sell them so many cases a year because we just didn't have enough whiskey. We had to spread it around, uh, and we did that until about 1980. Um, and so, if you think about the growth, and and we were certainly um, very lucky um, with the growth of our brand. And uh, of course, I think there's a lot of factors that played into that success. But, um, you know, number one, we put great whiskey in a bottle. Uh, we're now the number one premium whiskey in the world. Um, and you can't put bad whiskey in a bottle and achieve that. Um, but secondly, you know, we've really become, Jack Daniels has become a, a, an Americana, kind of classic American brand known worldwide. Um, and, you know, this kind of icon of American pop culture. Um, 
and some people associate that with music, obviously, from from artists like Frank Sinatra to the Rolling Stones to, you know, uh, rock and roll and country music acts now, present day, and, and Hollywood movies. And um, you have those classic images of, of Jack Daniels playing a role in, in countless movies. And, uh, you know, we never we never paid anyone for that. Um, we never we never paid an artist and, and still don't, you know, represent our brand. And I think that authenticity yes. is what yes. comes through. And I think that's what you were mentioning earlier about the state and being who we are and being authentic in what we do. And I think, you know, that bottle of Jack Daniels, old number seven, it's still ultimately, it means authenticity. Mm-hmm. It does. And anywhere you go in the world, people always ask me about Jack Daniels and Dolly Parton. <laughs> right, That's right. Right. Well, and I, w- I do want to mention you mentioned you know these popular culture references and celebrities over time, and you you mentioned Frank Sinatra. I mean, I don't know if you saw the Ken Burns documentary on country music, but that has been all the talk I saw on social media when when that documentary hit a couple of weeks ago. And of course, I have every Tivoed um, episode of it, and I, I keep watching it because it's just so fascinating. And I, I'm sure, pretty sure there's plenty of shots in there that had some Jack Daniels. Daniels labels in the yeah. <laughs> in the shot You're from us, yeah, from stage shots and all the rest. So it is an authentic part of the culture. And um, interesting that you mentioned about your chemistry background. I'd like to turn it to Alex. Um, I read that you graduated from the University of Kentucky with a degree in chemical engineering, which is a science, technology, engineering, math, a STEM field, no less, which is very interesting and I think may run counter to what a lot of people think about when they think of a master distiller. They may not realize, you know, the level of technical background and education and expertise that goes into that. So, Alex, tell us a little bit about how you started in the business and why you chose this industry with that background. Yeah, so I actually chose that background so that I could get into this industry. Yes. Um, so it might be a little backwards from what you would expect. No, it actually makes it uh, even more interesting, I think. <laughs> so, yeah, I definitely did not go into engineering to be an engineer. Um, I actually kind of hated it. But uh, when I was in high school, fell in love with all of the STEM fields and uh, was talking to my mom, trying to figure out what to do. And she said, do chemical engineering. I said, okay, what can you do with it? And she said, you can make beer or you can make bourbon. And I said, <laughs> Heck yeah, Mom. That sounds like a plan. <laughs> <laughs> like, that's what I'm going to do. And so that's, I, I really went into the field with that as my uh, my goal. And I was fortunate enough to get into the industry when I was 21 um, as a co-op. And the reason the two go so well together is, I mean, I spent an entire semester learning how to design a distillation column. So that is what chemical engineering is. It is about separating um, different compounds. So, you know, for distilling, you're separating alcohol from water. And so the two really, they're one in the same. And so for me, it just was a very natural um, pairing of, of things. That's probably the only way that you would have ever gotten me to major in chemical engineering. <laughs> yes. I could be like to make Alex. your own alcohol. <laughs> yeah, to make your own alcohol and be like Alex cuz you're certainly you've got the cool factor going on there. You definitely do. So, Chris, you also have an academic background in chemistry. What was the path that you had to take to become Jack Daniel's first ever assistant master distiller? 
Yeah, uh, probably mostly luck is what I tell people. Um, I know people, they find out about, you know, my grandfather who worked here was a distiller. My grandmother worked here as well. Um, and so I, even though I grew up around a distillery, um, for those of you that have been to Lynchburg, it's a town of about 600 people. Uh, and I tell you that just simply because when you're 18 years old and you're going away to college, you really don't think much of moving back home to Lynchburg, no. <laughs> to a town of 600 people. And I was really no different. Um, I was studying chemistry, and um, I was unsure of what I really wanted to do long term. I was kind of thinking maybe pharmacy or some different things. And um, actually, after my sophomore year of college, I came home with my roommate, and he wanted to come here and take the tour of the distillery and learn about Jack Daniels. He had never been. And so he and I were walking through the distillery one day on our tour, and I obviously knew the tour guide, right? A town of 600 people, and you pretty well know everyone. And I started thinking, well, what a great job. Tour guys, you just get paid to talk. It's perfect. And I <laughs> needed a summer job. And uh, they hired me as a tour guide. I started working here at 19 years old. And um, two years later, I graduated uh, and needed a job. And, and luckily for me, in, in the R&D department, they were hiring for an entry-level position. And I applied and got that job. And, and in research and development, you get to touch so many different parts of the process. Um, I actually moved up to Louisville, Kentucky, which we're part of the Brown Foreman Corporation based in Louisville. Uh, and so worked there, obviously, with Jack Daniels quite a lot, and then also with our, our Cooperages and barrel making and our Kentucky whiskeys and, and all these different spirits that I was exposed to. And it was such a great place to start out. Um, and from there, I actually, I left our company and went to a competitor and, and was able to, to make some other spirits and whiskeys and things in the industry for a few years. And and then that's when I got the call from from Jeff Arnett a little over five years ago, and and Jeff explained, you know, we're fortunate that Jack Daniels continues to grow, and it's a worldwide brand now, and the demand on his time had gotten so great that he wanted to hire an assistant. And there's, you're right, there's never been one here before, and um, it sounded it sounded really great to me. I just had to convince my wife to move to Lynchburg. <laughs> She's a Kentucky girl, <laughs> yeah. but that's okay. We're, we're very happy to be here and very happy to work for Jeff, and and uh, really really couldn't be better. So, uh, Chris, I'm curious, assistant master distiller, what is the significant uh, significance of that post? Is it that just you will eventually take over as the master distiller? Is that the plan? Well, I like the way you think, but um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, seriously, uh, you know, we have a lot of great distillers here and, 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 you know, I'm fortunate enough to, to have the title as assistant master distiller, but we've got, we've got some very talented whiskey makers. Um, you know, I tell people our goal every day is to continue to be the most complete whiskey maker in the industry. We want to control our own employees, our own hands, every step of the process of making our whiskey from making our own barrels to having our own microbiology lab with our yeast culture and, and everything along the way we want to control. And so while, um, I am fortunate enough to work very closely with Jeff and, you know, and he and I, you know, we do supervise the whiskey production here and we oversee that process, obviously, from a from a quality and a consistency standpoint. Um, but I won't be the only person uh, whenever that day may come. I don't know. But I, I won't be the only person considered. I can promise you that. Okay. Well, well you uh, had mentioned, um, you know, about other uh, you know brands. And, of course, the Tennessee Whiskey Trail, it's obviously a community 
of distillers um, across the state. And um, I would like to learn a little bit more about the trail itself as a tourist experience and uh, just kind of get a sense for the larger community. And Alex, let me start with you. I mean, what are your observations on that? And, and what advantages are there for you in being based in Memphis, which is obviously on the southern or the furthest western side of the state, where you have a more unique profile with Old Dominic since there aren't many other distilleries in West Tennessee. You are right in that we are a community. Of course, we're we're the farthest away, but I know that as far east as the distilleries go, I can pick up the phone and every single person will, will answer and, and be there to help. We are all definitely friends, even though we're yeah. competitors. Um, but being, you know, the only only West distillery is kind of fun. Uh, a lot of people either start or end their um, trail visit with us. And so they're usually really, really excited because they're getting going or because they finally get to get that last <laughs> stamp in their passport. Uh, so that's actually been a lot of fun to, to be that part of everyone's journey with us. So, oh, so there's um, an actual passport then? Yes, there is. There, oh, yes, so, there's oh, an actual. Get, you, can, yeah. you can either do it on the app or you have the actual physical um, passport and all the distilleries have actual stamps that will we'll stamp it in there for you. That is awesome. Yeah, that is great. I want to do that. Yeah. Um, and, and Chris, what are your observations about the growth of the whiskey sector in the spirits industry? I mean, particularly as part of such a dominant brand. Yeah, well, I think it's fantastic. Um, you know, I spent some of my early career in Kentucky, uh, and they, you know, they enjoyed this, you know, multiple distilleries and, and, you know, this very rounded heritage of Kentucky whiskey making. And you know, I see absolutely no reason why Tennessee can't be the same. Mm-hmm. And I think now with, what, 30 distilleries um, involved on the trail all across the state, um, it's really a fantastic thing because Tennessee whiskey, um, you know, in, in my opinion, you know, it's held to the highest standards of any whiskey made in the world. I mean, not only do we, we have to meet every um, criteria for, for bourbon whiskey, we also have the additional geographical constraint that it can only be made in Tennessee is where you can make bourbon in all 50 states in the U.S. Uh, and then, of course, the, old, the old-fashioned charcoal mellowing process that we also adhere to. Um, and so I, I couldn't be happier as a native Tennessean and somebody that's, that's very proud and passionate about Tennessee whiskey um, couldn't be happier with the Tennessee Whiskey Trail and what it's doing for Tennessee whiskey on a global scale. Right. I, I agree. And Alex, getting back to the um, talking about women and whiskey and just women and alcohol consumption in general, I just read a study that we're now responsible for 85% of alcohol purchases in the 12 to $15 range, which I was like, well, it's because we're drinking a lot of cheap wine. <laughs> but um, <laughs> the stat that really got me is that in the 1990s, women made up only about 15% of whiskey drinkers, and now we're up to 37% of consumption in the U.S. Why do you think women are drinking more whiskey? I, I think some of it is the uh, cocktail culture coming back and it's, yeah. it's much easier to get into a strong spirit like whiskey if it's in a cocktail, but also the birth of groups like bourbon women and women in whiskey and things like that, where it's just a group of women who get together and you just chat over drinks. And it's, I think it's educating women more. It's getting them to be more comfortable 
to where they they feel like they actually can go to a bar and order a whiskey and not feel foolish because they said something wrong or they ordered a whiskey that people would look at and say, well, that's not a very good one. Um, I think all of that is changing. They're becoming so much more confident in in their knowledge of of the spirits world as a whole and realize that whiskey is not just for men. Right. I think that's such a good point because uh, I, I think there's an intimidation factor sometimes for people in dealing with wine or ordering yes. wine. And it's the same situation, I think, on you know, with the, these other spirits. Have to educate and try, which is why you should come to Grains and Grits. That's right. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <Yeah. laughs> well, uh, Kim, what has the awareness building effort been exactly for the Tennessee Whiskey Trail? Because we talked about, I mean, that this is a real visitor experience, you know, across the state. Um, and I would really like to get a sense for how that's been leveraged. I mean, it does seem like the Tennessee State Department of Tourist Development has gotten involved in recent years to help promote the trail more specifically. So tell us a little bit about that. Right. Well, from the very beginning, when we were established in 2017, it really was a grassroots effort. Mm-hmm. Not a lot of funding that we had. We did receive some funding from state tourism and from um, state ECD, but we really and truly just had to depend on PR. Mm-hmm. And just getting the word out about the Tennessee Whiskey Trail. And because of the great brands that are associated with the Tennessee Whiskey Trail, the Jack, the George, the Old Smoky, it's easy to get the word out. A lot of people want, they wanted to grab onto the story and, and talk about it. So we were very fortunate about that. We have to realize, too, that people go back and saying the Kentucky Bourbon Trail is up there and they're doing a fantastic job. And they are doing a fantastic job. Yeah. They have a little over 1 million visitors every year that visit the distilleries there in Kentucky. Last year in 2018, we had 6.3 million people visit well, there our you distillers. Go. Are you kidding? We're I kicking no ass. idea. I'm telling <laughs> you. It's amazing. So it's, you know, people are wanting to know the stories. Again, it's it's all about a story. And every distillery has a story. Old Dominic has a great story. Yeah. Green, Nelson Greenbrier has a great story. You know, everybody, you know, Jack Daniels has a great story. And people want to be attached to that. And they want to learn about that. And it's just, it's, we've been very fortunate of all the press that we have gotten because we haven't spent a lot of money on it. We've just, you know, really relied on people just wanting to hear the story and picking it up. Right. Well, and there are some serious enthusiasts worldwide and you've got bloggers, you've got uh, enthusiasts, other, you know, different consumer as well as trade media out there. So they're out there, you know, helping put the story out there as well. So it's, that's a very exciting part of it. And I think that you sort of have this built in mechanism to be able to get the word out, which is exciting. Fan base. Exactly. So, you know, one thing that bears mentioning is social responsibility and social responsibility can mean a lot of different things to a lot of different companies. It can be anything from environmental stewardship to community and charitable giving. But in your industry, it's all about making sure that there's no underage drinking or as little as possible and promoting to consumers age 21 or older, at least here in the U.S. I'm pretty sure my brother was drinking some wild turkey out in the woods before he was 21. I I remember. (laughs) You don't know, but you've been told, right? (laughs) Oh, I know, for sure. Um, So you have these age disclaimers and restrictions where you don't want site visitors who aren't 21 to even come to your site. So, Alex, what can you tell us about Old Dominic in regard to this social responsibility profile? Now, for us, we do take it very seriously. We do actually allow um, people under 21 to come to the distillery to partake in tours. 
obviously they're not allowed to be at the tasting portion. Um, but like for me personally, it's actually important to allow um, under 21s to do the tour because I was 15 when I wanted to get into this industry. And so if I hadn't been able to go on the Maker's Mark tour like I did, I don't know if I would have fell, fall in love as, with this industry. Um, so I do think it's important to to be able to open it up to them. But at the same time, you want to make sure that they are responsible drinkers when they do become 21. And so that, you know, for us means absolutely making sure that we keep anyone under 21 as far away from our bars as we possibly can. Right. So what about charitable giving in philanthropic areas? Is, is old Dominic involved in any of those initiatives? We are. We actually try to give a lot back to um, Memphis and all of the different entities in Memphis. And so we've done a lot of donations to um, a, com- a group called Export Memphis, which is a music group. They actually send uh, Memphis-based artists to other countries, and they bring in artists from other countries to experience Memphis and the state of Tennessee. Um, and so we, we very much support music because of the tie of music to Memphis, but we also do a lot with St. Jude as well as other um, charities in the city. That's off, That's so awesome to hear. Chris, what about Jack Daniels and what's, what is your stance on social responsibility and how, how do those efforts play out in Lynchburg? Yeah, well, it's um, certainly a topic that we take very seriously um, with Jack Daniels. I think any time you see Jack Daniels messaging, you know, via advertising, um, not only has that media outlet been vetted to know that it, it is geared for people 21 and up, um, you're also going to see responsibility messaging along with any promotional messaging uh, for our brand. Um, so it's something that um, that we do take very serious, um, and and I think um, there's additional sustainability responsibility reporting that if, if people are interested in seeing all those details, um, they're online um, via the brownforman.com, our, our parent company uh, website, and they can access that at any time online. Great. Well, Kim, um, why did the Peaceful Side of the Smokies launch the Grains and Grits Festival several years ago as a standalone event? And I'd love to get your insight as to how you've witnessed the evolution of the Tennessee Whiskey Trail as a driver of tourist interest. I mean, you mentioned about just a moment ago about um, how competitively Tennessee has risen to the occasion, especially in comparison to Kentucky. But I'd love to hear about the event and then how that fits into the overall scheme of things. Absolutely. Anytime we start to do an event, we think about what will it contribute to our community? And also, would people come from outside of our community to enjoy this event? Because being in tourism, that's why we're here. We want to bring people in to stay in the hotels and spend their money for a long time. you know. And we also like to do events that have something to do with our region or the, our history that we can connect to. And I'm sure most everybody that's from East Tennessee probably has a great uncle or a grandfather that either ran Sean or maybe had a, his own steel in the, you know, somewhere in the mountains. So there's always, you know, there's that connection, especially with East Tennessee and the moonshine. So I really wanted to do a festival that, that surrounded that history and not only talk about, because if you look at what Tennessee produces, it's not just Tennessee whiskey and moonshine. It's every spirit out there except for scotch and 
uh, tequila, and those, that's because those can't be made in the United States. So, you know, it was important to, to talk about all of our spirits, not just the Tennessee whiskey and the, and the moonshine, but the rum and the gin. Some of the distillers are making phenomenal gins if you're a gin lover. And um, just really embrace that. And then what goes great with spirits is some excellent food. We're so fortunate to be um, have Blackberry Farm in our backyard. Right. And they're putting out some phenomenal chefs that are going out into our communities and our region and opening their own restaurants. So just marrying those two things, you know, the Tennessee spirits and, and what they're doing, they're craftsmen they're, and craftswomen, and they're pushing out incredible product and then marrying that with the food and in the backdrop of the Great National, I mean, Great Smoky Mountains National Park. And at the time of year that I always like to say that nature is showing off because all the fall leaves are out. It's just a spectacular view. And it's just a great time to come and, and be with your friends and family and talk to these distillers, talk to these people that are actually making these creations. And then also, if you've ever had a chance to talk to um, Shelly Cooper at Dancing Bear Appalachian Bistro, the passion that she has for food, yes. when she talks about it, it just, it, it intrigues you and you right. just want to listen to more. And that's how most of these chefs are and all these distillers are. There's a passion. And to be able to sit and have conversations with those individuals is, is a great evening. And that's kind of where we just came up with the idea. Yeah. Well, and this uh, this beverage, you know, whiskey, it is an experiential kind of product in so much as you're with friends, you're with family, you're having a good time. And, you know, the Grains and Grits Festival really feeds right into that, literally and figuratively, exactly. uh, by bringing people together and it being a gathering place and it being just it, with the music and just all it's those part of elements. our culture. It is. It's core. It is our culture yes. at its core. Absolutely. So Alex and Chris, I just want to ask you one last thing. So uh, do you think, well, how important do you think events like Grains and Grits have been to drawing people into the Tennessee history in the whiskey culture? I think it's been crucial for the trail specifically because I know most people wouldn't even know that we existed in, in Memphis and wouldn't even be able to put a face to us if it weren't for events like Grain, um, Grains and Grits where we are physically there at the other end of the state and you're getting to try our products. Um, to where it's, you know, I think it's bringing everybody together. Yeah, I agree. I think it's it's fantastic um, to build the brand recognition of Tennessee whiskey as a whole. Um, you know, Tennessee whiskey, as I said earlier, I'll repeat myself, but it's a world-class spirit. And, uh, you know, we have, you know, an amazing history in the state of Tennessee. We make an amazing product, great, very high-quality whiskey um, that can go toe-to-toe with any other whiskey in the world. And it's, you know, events like these that allow us to showcase that. Well, thank you all so much. It has been a pleasure to have all three of you on our podcast today to shed more light on Tennessee tourism. And wow, we've learned so much. Uh, and, and Absolutely. I'm going to get my passport. I'm ready yeah, to go on the whiskey trail. So. <laughs> I know. This is a trip for the two of us <laughs> yes, to definitely. go and check it out. You can map out your stops along the Tennessee Whiskey Trail at tnwhiskeytrail.com and on Twitter at handle TN Whiskey Trail. And listeners 21 and older can visit Jack Daniel Distillery at jackdaniels.com. Among several Twitter handles, follow uh, Jack Daniels underscore US. And visit olddominic.com as well as 
as Twitter handle Old Dominic901. Lots of uh, destination opportunities, too, can be found online with the peaceful side of the Smoky Mountains at smokymountains.org and across their social media. For event and ticket information to the Grains and Grits Festival, November 2nd, 2019, in Townsend, Tennessee, visit grainsandgritsfest.com. And don't forget to follow the Misinterpreted podcast. We promise to respond to your questions, so post them using the hashtag MisInterpreted, and that's hashtag MSInterpreted. And for visibility's sake, don't forget to capitalize the PR. You can follow me on Twitter at KD Fletcher, as well as Fletcher PR, and follow Mary Beth West at Mary Beth West. Thanks so much to Chris Hill with HumblePod. You can visit his website at humblepod.com. Thanks for joining us, and don't miss visiting the Tennessee Whiskey Trail. Sips up. Thanks for joining us on Misinterpreted, Public Relations Demystified. You can keep up with the latest on the podcast at FletcherMarketingPR.com and on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, or wherever you listen to podcasts. We'll see you next time.